Well, good evening. I'd like to welcome you back to our service this evening, and I know the weather is really nasty out there, uh, but uh, it's good to be inside, good to be gathered together as a body, and let's go ahead and bow together for a word of prayer, and then we'll get our service started tonight. Father, we're so grateful for the Christmas season, and I pray that as we open up our Bibles tonight that you will speak to our hearts as we think about the story of Ruth and all that was going on in the lives of these ladies and how you just continued to work behind the scenes. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged. We would recognize that you're the same God that you were then and you work uh, marvelously in our lives. And I pray that you'll just, just help us to get a better understanding of that tonight. And I pray you'll bless our time of singing and our fellowship. May it all point honor and glory to you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Good evening. Welcome, Acre Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us in person, and thank you for joining us on a, a live, live stream. I'll get it out here in a minute. But uh, as we get ready to start our song service, I'll get my glasses on here so I can see the words, look over them and see you all smiling faces. Please stand with me. Turn to page 208 or follow along on the screen as we sing both. I said 208, 218 is the one. Okay, how great our joy, all four verses. 208. Ring the bells. We're going to ring them all. Ring the bells this evening. Both verses. Ring the bells. 
have a seat, please. Turn to page 223 in your hymnal. Sing out on all four verses of Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne. Good evening. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the Williams.
Okay, here we go. Page 482, Dwelling in Beulah Land. Sing out. course get some of those wiggles out huh all right well good good job kids <laughs> that'll teach pastor that he better mind his p's and q's and get them all all taken care of okay 196 196 going back to christmas first verse angels we have heard on high I knew that one, but that is not the tune that I had in my head. A good one. I'm going to have to go back and uh, get that one under my belt then. Okay. Wow. Thank you for that. Thank you, Deanna. You could play it. Because <laughs> I was, that's not the tune I was thinking. Okay. 194, please stand with me. Page 194, we'll sing the first, the third, and the fourth. Joy to the world. Mm -hmm. 
Amen. Please be seated. For that, let's go ahead and take our Bibles out and turn together to the book of Ruth this evening. And uh, we have been working our way through Old Testament passages of Scripture for 
I think this is like sermon 60-something. I'm not actually sure how long we've been doing this. But on Sunday nights, we've been working our way through the Old Testament. And we're looking at passages that ultimately they point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they point us to the story of redemption. And it's not just that those passages point us to the story of redemption. But they're also filled with many, many rich principles and truths. And the passage in front of us tonight is one of those passages. In fact, as we work our way through the book of Ruth... We're really going to move a lot slower than we did through some of these other books. And uh, we're really going to focus in on some of the details that we find here. So Ruth chapter 1, or chapter 1, verse number 8. And we will read down to verse 15 together. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you. As ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grants you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they are grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice And wept again, and Orpah kissed her daughter-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people, unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Let's bow for a moment and ask the Lord to really bless this time that we study the word together. Father, I pray that as we look at this passage that you would open our understanding to some very rich truths. Help us to see what bitterness can do. Help us to see what wisdom can accomplish. Help us to see your grace that is, that is unfolding this story. Help us to th- see the incredible uh, the weight of the decision that was made on that day. I pray that we would understand these truths and that you would speak to our hearts through them. And I pray that you would speak very personally to our hearts, exactly in the way that we need it tonight. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to kind of give you a summary statement for the passage in front of us. Here is the statement. Ruth's refusal to go back to her people and their gods, and that's an important statement, was the starting point of a series of simple yet highly significant moments that when woven together are beautiful testimonies To God's grace despite tragedy. Let me read that to you again. Ruth's refusal to go back to her people. 
and their gods was a starting point for a series of simple yet highly significant moments that when woven together are beautiful testimonies to God's grace despite tragedy. God wants us to walk wisely and to marvel in his kindness. And this passage of scripture tonight is going to be a great example of what that looks like. In fact, when I think about the, the choices that people make in life, we know that there are certain choices in life that are really, really significant choices. We know that there are certain choices that when we make them, it's almost like this is a fork in the road and we move in this direction instead of moving in this direction. And so we often put a lot of weight in those kinds of decisions. And in fact, the passage in front of us has one of those kinds of decisions. But what we don't realize is that a lot of the decisions that we make in life that seem very insignificant at the time are also very impactful in the things that are going on in our lives. And this story also has several of those pieces. Another thing that I think that's really interesting about this passage is what it shows you is that the choices that we make really, really do matter. And if Ruth had chosen differently at this moment in her life, the story of redemption, the story of how the Lord Jesus Christ comes into the world, what we read about in Matthew as we look at the genealogy of Christ, that would look completely different. And so in fact, God was working behind the scenes to accomplish purposes that Ruth had absolutely no concept of at the time that she made this decision. So the first thing I'd like us to do this evening is I'd like us to kind of walk through the details of the story because this is a story. Now when I say it's a story, I don't want you to, to, to think that I'm in any way dis, 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 diminishing the historical nature of what's going on. This is the story, the history of is in an Israel of the king of David. This is actually a very important piece of how we understand David's uh, his heritage and why David actually was benevolent towards the Moabites and part of that is because this woman Ruth a Moabite was a part of his lineage. And so it's an it's an essential part of that storyline of his life. And what I want to do is I want to kind of start by reminding you of some of the details that Pastor Josh talked about last week. So last week we were introduced to a man named Elimelech. And Elimelech was married to Naomi and they had two boys, Melon and Chilion. Now these two boys, their names actually mean like weak, sickly, and piney. So when you saw these boys, they probably were not like big strapping tough guys. They were the kind of guys that you go, that guy doesn't look like he's going to make it in this uh, very rugged period of time. And so Elimelech decides, because of what's going on in Bethlehem, that instead of watching his family starve to death, which he's afraid of, he says, let's go to Moab and let's live there for just a little while so that our family can survive. And then, well, we'll go back to Bethlehem, Judah, because that's where, that's where our family is. And that's where our inheritance is. And this is God's promised land. And it's important to recognize that they went at a time of the judges. And one of the reasons that there were some terrible famines going on in those days is because God was judging his people. They were not living according to God's commands. And so God was not blessing them. And they were experiencing hardship as a result of this. But what we see in verses 1, 2, and 4 is that there is a progression of what they chose to do. For instance, in verse 1 he says, he went and he sojourned. The idea is like he takes a little, a little, a little, a little uh, travel and he's going to stay there for a short time. Like I'm going to visit someone. You know, my parents are here, so 
they're here to sojourn. They're going to stay with us for a little bit of time. We're going to enjoy their company and then I'm sure they'll be exhausted from the grandkids and they'll go on and get, get, get going on with everything else. So they're sojourning. This is kind of the idea. It's, it's a, short, a short period of time they're going to live there. But then in verse 2 it says they continued there. So what appeared to just be a short period of time ends up being a little bit longer period of time than what they had initially thought. I mean, we don't know what was said between Naomi and Elimelech, perhaps. Naomi said something to Elimelech like, hey, you know, I don't know if it's really a good idea for us to go to Moab. And he's like, well, we're just going to go for a little while, so don't worry about it. That's kind of the impression. But they stayed. And then it tells us in verse 4 that they dwelled there about 10 years. And during that period of time, and it's not clear in the text, if it's 10 years from the time that the boys married, or if it's 10 years from the the beginning of the time that they were there. Either way, they were at a minimum living in Moab for 10 years. And during that time, some terrible tragedies took place. The first is that Elimelech dies. And I think it's very interesting that after Elimelech dies, the two boys decide that they're going to marry Moabite women. It's after that took place. And then they marry these two ladies, and the Bible doesn't say how long they were married, but those two boys died. And so in that period of time that they lived there, Naomi has watched her husband die, she's watched her sons die, and she has daughter-in-laws, and she has no grandchildren. And so what you see is a woman who is experiencing tremendous tragedy. These people are extremely vulnerable. They're extremely broken. There is no apparent future for these ladies. There are few people that would have been more vulnerable at this time in history than a woman like Naomi. Naomi does not have the prospect of remarriage. She's an older lady. She has these two daughter-in-laws, and the two daughter-in-laws are not Jewish women. They are Moabites. She's living as a foreigner in their land. And it's very clear from the passage of Scripture that the people in Moab understood that she worshipped the God of Israel. And it's also very clear that she understood that her daughter-in-laws came from families that did not worship the God of Israel. They were idolaters. Well, this week we're going to continue in this story. And so in verse number six, what we see is that Naomi decides that she wants to go back to her people. She wants to go back to her family. She wants to go back to the inheritance. The problem is she's going back in a very different state and with very different prospects than she did when she left. And it's, it's, it's interesting how the text states this. In verse six, it says she heard in the land of Moab, that God had visited his people and giving them bread. Now, if you remember a couple of messages ago, we, we, we talked about how that word visited is a very rich term. The, the picture that I have in my mind is, here's Naomi, she's Jewish, everybody knows that she's Jewish, that she worships the God of Israel. And these, these Moabites are like, hey, have you heard that back in the country where you, where you have grown up and lived and all that, that they have an abundance of bread now? Have you heard that the God of the people that you, know, you come from, that they worship and they serve, he has visited them, he's blessing them, they're enjoying prosperity. And it's almost like she hears this and she starts thinking, maybe I should go back. 
And that's really where the story starts to turn in the right direction. Then in verse number 7, we see that her daughter-in-laws follow her in the way that she was going back to Israel. Notice the way that it puts it. She went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Now, when we read this, immediately we think they must have made up their mind when Naomi says, I'm going back to Israel. They say, hey, we're going to go with you. We're going to go back to Bethlehem, Judah. But as we look at the culture of the day, it may not necessarily be that that's what was going on. When a person has spent a long time with another person and they want to show them that they love them, that they have a dear relationship, one of the things that they would do is as they began their journey, they would travel with them. Because it was, in some ways, it's showing how dear they are to them. And as they're going on the way, Naomi is talking with her daughter-in-laws. And she gets to the point where she says, listen, I'm going there and you need to go back there. That's what Naomi said. Now I ask this question. Was Naomi thinking in a biblical manner when she did that? The answer is absolutely not. In fact, we're going to see later on in the passage of Scripture that she tells them, go back to your gods. She says, go back to your mother's house. And that's a very interesting way of putting that. And maybe when you've read this before, you never really thought much of that. Mother's house, father's house. Why does that really matter? Well, that's an indication of something about the nature of the families that these girls came from. If she says, go back to your mother's house, she's probably saying that Your mother is married to a man who has lots of wives. And so you need to not go back to your father's house, but go back to the one wife that is your mother's house. That's what what she's saying. And you see this very clear distinction between Naomi and Elimelech and these children and the land that she's in. And so we see that she sends them back with a desire for God to be kind to them as they had been to her and to her family. In verses 8 and 9 he says this. Go and return unto her. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her. Notice the word husband. Why do you think she's saying that? Why do you think she didn't even mention her husband's name and mention her boy's name? And emphasize that they need to find joy and rest in the house of their husband. This is the reason. Because deep down in Naomi's heart, there was a deep hurt. There was a burden. There was a bitterness. That God has taken my husband. God has taken my boys. He's taken your husbands. And if you want to have joy, you need to find husbands in your land, amongst your people, amongst your gods... And I wish you the best. I really do. That's the sense of what Naomi is saying here. The Lord grant that you find rest in the house of your husband. And when she kissed them, they lifted up their voice and wept. It doesn't say voices. It says voice. What that tells you is that both Orpah and Ruth are feeling the same way. They love Naomi. She was dear to them. They didn't want to leave her. They're both saying, we, we, we want to stay with you. But then Naomi insists, no, you've got to go back. 
Verse number nine, then she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept and they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi, verse 11 said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb? Do you see where she's going again? There's a reason for that. It's something that was going on inside of her heart. Her security had been removed. What had given her joy, her future, all those things, they had been ripped away. And she was very sensitive to that. And she says, are there any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they are grown? She's like, you wouldn't wait for them. Well, there's other ways this could work out, you know. (laughs) That's not the only possible scenario. Maybe you could go back to Israel and maybe the people could welcome you back and maybe these ladies could actually become a part of Jewish society and maybe they could actually become followers of the one true God instead of idols. And maybe they could actually marry Jewish men and maybe they could actually be a part of the Jewish community Those are all possible scenarios, are they not? Not in her mind. She goes, would you stay for them? It grieveth me much. And here is the key. It grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Now ask this question. Is she really more grieved about them or herself? Let's just be honest. Is she sad for them or for herself? And the truth is a lot of times when we are hurt, our view of God is completely wrong. And we almost sometimes, we nurse our wounds by lashing out at the people around us. And a lot of times we're unwilling to actually admit where the root problem lies. And the simple fact, and I I say simple fact, it's easy for us to look back at this story, thousands of years removed from it, not feeling all of these things ourselves. Not experiencing what they experience. But it's very easy for us to recognize this woman has a problem. She's bitter. She's angry at God. She believes that God has dealt with her wrongly. And she's telling them, you should feel my grievance. That's what she's basically saying. She has changed and you can see this coming out in what she's saying. And we see that Orpah leaves. She goes back. And in verse 14, here is where the story really begins to turn very strongly in the right direction. They lifted up their voices and they wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. She grabbed a hold of her and she said, I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to let you go. She said, behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people, unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. It's an amazing thing that Naomi says, I do serve the one true God, but I'm very angry against him. And I do serve the one true God, and I really hope he deals kindly with you. But he's not dealt kindly with me, and I feel bad for you because you've experienced the hardship of God being hard on me. And this is the way Naomi's thinking. She's like, why don't you go back to your idols? But then we see in verses 16 and 17, Ruth's response. 
And Ruth's decision is one that is rooted in conviction. And you can see it by the way that she says these things. It says, entreat me not to leave thee. First of all, she says, stop telling me to leave. Okay. So before she says, here's what I'm going to do. She's like, stop. Don't tell me to go back to Moab. Don't tell me to go back to my gods. I'm going to tell you how I see it. This is what she's saying. Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. That's a really amazing statement. The Moabites and the Jewish people were very different. They were culturally different. I'm going to mention in just a minute that there were actually some similarities in their history. And the Moabites knew about Israel's God. But they were a different people. And they had different customs. And they had different cultures. And they most certainly had very different values. She goes, where thou lodgest I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die. And there will I be buried. And then this next statement is great. The Lord do so to me and more also. If aught but death part thee and me. You know what that statement means? She says, your God is my God. And I'm telling you that if I do not follow through with this commandment, I want your God to deal harshly with me. That tells you that her allegiance is very, very firmly, convictionally focused. That's what it shows us. And so when we think about this story, I think that there are a couple of things that I need to draw out that sometimes we miss that are also part of this story. I mean, we are removed by thousands of years from this story. Our cultures are so different. In fact, when I read this passage of scripture, having lived in West Africa, there are things that I noticed that I, would, I never noticed before I lived in a, in, a, in a culture that's so different than Western culture. But I want you to notice a couple of details that I think are very important for you to not miss. <clears throat> the first is this. Jewish men were not explicitly forbidden from marrying Moabites. However... However, a Jewish person who had a very strong conviction about their God would have never desired for their children to marry Moabites. Now, this was not a racial issue. You're going to find out in just a moment that the Moabites and the Jewish people were essentially like cousins, okay? The reason for this is because these were people that did not worship the one true God. I mean, to take it into the New Testament context would be like going to 1 Corinthians where it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath light with darkness? And what concord hath uh, he that believeth with someone who doesn't? And the idea is that you should marry a Christian. Why? Well, because you, you should not have this contention in your home with totally different values. That's the idea. So that was the sense. They were not forbidden from marrying a Moabite. But because the Moabites were not, Following the one true God, there was a question. <clears throat> the Moabites traced their ancestry back to Lot, Abraham's nephew, through Lot's daughter. Now, if you understand the context of that, you can figure it all out. It's one of the saddest stories in the Old Testament. Here is Lot, this young man who had everything going for him. He is, he is Abraham's nephew. And there's a point where Lot's, Lot's herdsmen are beginning to be very prosperous. Abraham's herdsmen are beginning to be very prosperous. And Abraham sits down and he says, we have contention amongst our herdsmen. What are we going to do? 
And he says, I'll tell you what we'll do. You could take this region over here. You could take this region over here. And Abraham, an older man who didn't have to do it the way he did it, said, I'll let you choose first. And you know what he did? He said, I'll take the nice land. <laughs> and I'll let you take the trashy land. That's what he did. Why did he do that? Well, because he's a little greedy. He wasn't being respectful to his uncle. But it says in the passage, it says, and that's where Sodom and Gomorrah were. By the end of the story, what we see is that Lot was rescued from Sodom by God's grace alone. And he lost his wife. And he's hiding in a cave. And by the end of the story, Lot is a disgraced man. His two daughters are pregnant with children. One is going to produce an offspring who's going to become the father of the Ammonites and one the father of the Moabites. And the fact is that these people followed the thinking pattern of their history. They were not a godly people. They were a compromised people. And the Moabites were excluded from the congregation in Deuteronomy chapter 23 up to 10 generations. It's an amazing thing. They could live amongst the Jewish people. They could participate in a lot of the assembly things that they were doing but there were certain things that they were forbidden from because they were not Jewish though they were distinct they were also very close with a shared history they knew of Israel's God they knew of his history so I think that those are some details that are important for us to remember another thing I'll mention is this a woman's security at this time in history was entirely bound up in her husband and children her husband was her provider and protector. He managed his God-given inheritance. He felt the weight of cultivating the land for his children and his children's children. Her children were the source of richness and joy in their inheritance. They were the guarantee that there would be offspring on that inheritance. And a widow who had no children living outside her home country would have had nothing. Absolutely nothing. By the way, I'm going to say this. God really loves people who are vulnerable. And we're going to see this in the book of Ruth. We're going to see that when Naomi was in this terribly vulnerable place, God had provided in the law a way that Naomi wouldn't starve. God provided a way in the law that Naomi could actually have offspring who would, who would keep the inheritance for her sons who had died. It's an important part of the story. And Ruth, who was a Moabite, a Gentile, could have the potential to not just become a part of the Jewish people, to worship their God, but literally to be one of those who is a part of the story leading to King David and a part of the story leading to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, what are some of the principles that we could take from this passage? And there are numerous principles, but I want to share with you a couple as we think about this tonight. The first is this. Compromise will always take you further than you anticipated. We see this in these verses. Well, we're going to go there for a little while. Well, we'll stay there a little bit longer. Okay, now we're here 10 years. Now my sons have married Moabites who are idolaters. And now my wife is destitute. And now my children are gone. And now we have this terrible story. Compromise will take you a lot further than you thought. You cannot anticipate where a decision will take you. It's about trajectory. If someone is flying in an airplane and they're moving 
in a certain direction and they're just off by one degree. 300 miles later, they're in a different state, okay? They're nowhere near where they thought they were going to end up. We know the story about the Mayflower when it was coming across from, from, uh, from England in the 1620s. And they thought that they were going to land down in Virginia. You know where they ended up? <laughs> they ended up in Massachusetts. A lot colder in Massachusetts in the winter than it is in Virginia. A lot of people died. It was a terrible tragedy. Well, how did they end up in that way? Well, they were just off a little bit as they were traveling across the ocean. But the longer they traveled, the more, <clears throat> the more off they were. Compromise will take you further than you anticipated, too. God allowed the sinful choices of these people to play out. But not without his providence working for good behind the scenes. God didn't stop Elimelech. God allowed Elimelech to do what he did. God didn't stop those two Jewish boys from marrying Moabite women. Yet, this is clearly a compromise on the part of the family. But you know what God did do? God continued to work in their lives even as they made very poor and compromised choices. You say, well, why does he do that? Because he's a gracious God. He's very kind to us. He's a very good God. And we see this play out in this passage. Third, even when Naomi became bitter, God never abandoned her. Now, you think about how we relate to people when they become bitter and they lash out at us. Okay, that's what you're going to say to me? No problem. We won't have another conversation. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the way we tend to think? Hey, you did this? All right. I'll make sure when I get back it's proportionate. I won't go beyond that, but I'll make sure that there's a counterpunch. That's the way we think. But God didn't do that with Naomi. As Naomi was boiling internally against God, as she was bitter, as she's telling her daughter-in-laws, go back to your people and go back to your gods, and it grieves my heart that God has dealt so harshly with me and it's hurt you. That's the way that she's thinking. God was still at work in the story. He didn't walk away from her. She couldn't see it. She didn't understand it. But that's what God was doing. Fourthly, her bitterness nearly led to catastrophic consequences. So how would the story have played out had Ruth said to her, you know what, Naomi, you're right. I'm going to go back to my gods. <laughs> I'm going to go back to my, to my people. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to marry a Moabite man. Guess what? It wouldn't be the story of Ruth, okay? She didn't do that. But what would have happened if, if she had done that? It would have been an entirely different outcome. And God's intervention was all about his grace. Seeing the full story and the part that this moment played in God's redemptive plan should give us all an overwhelming sense of gratitude for his grace. Ruth's decision was not based on what seemed easiest or best in the moment. The truth is it would have been way easier for for Ruth to say to Naomi, you know what, it's true, I'm a Moabite. I have a family. I'm going to go back to my family. I could remarry in Moab. I can stick with our customs. I can stick with our gods. And she could have very easily done that. But that's not what she did. She said, I'm willing to go live in a foreign land. With a woman who has no land. With a woman who has no husband. A land where nobody's going to want to marry me because I'm a Moabite. And we see that even come out later on in this book. 
Everything's foreign to me. All the customs, all of that. I'm going to abandon my family in Moab to go and live with the Jewish people. And you know what? She did it. She did not do that because it was easier. She did not do that because it was going to give her an easy path. She did it because she was convinced it was right. And that's the principle that we see here. Her decision was built on a loving commitment to Naomi. The conviction that Naomi's God was the one true God. And the desire to be united with his people. So the question I want to ask in closing is this. Those principles, how do we apply them personally in our own lives tonight? Well, let me give you some thoughts here. First of all, we must make decisions on principle, not comfort. When you have a a choice that you need to make, and it's a tough choice, you shouldn't be thinking in terms of how how is this going to play out right now for me? How is this going to play out down the road for me? You ask the question, what does God say is right and wrong here? That's what we need to do. We need to say, what does God say is right and wrong here? And based on what he says is right and wrong, we choose what is right and we reject what is wrong. You say, well, what if, what if it's a little bit easier to do what he says is wrong in this situation? Do what is right. Don't compromise. We see the effects of compromise in Ruth chapter 1. We also see the effects of wisdom and doing what is right. Number two. We must keep bitterness in check. And the fact is that bitterness is something that can begin to inflict all of us. And what's really hard about bitterness is that when our heart becomes bitter, usually the grievance has legitimacy on some level. It's true. Okay, this person really did speak to me in a way that they shouldn't have. The way that this person handled me in that context was entirely wrong. And I demand my rights. And I demand that they do things the way that I expect. And we, we hold on to that grievance. And the fact is, they're not going to do it. They're not going to hear what we have to say. We're not going to have that conversation. We're not going to find a middle ground. And instead of us accepting that this is what we're dealing with, we become very angry, and very bitter. And we boil and we seethe internally. In fact, in Hebrews, it talks about a root of bitterness springing up And many being defiled. We have to be vigilant about bitterness. We must be sobered by the potential consequences of bitterness. When we choose to sin, we don't choose our consequence. God chooses it. And there's a reason he says don't do certain things. It's because the downstream of that is very, very dangerous. And very, very destructive. And very, very painful. And we need to be sobered by that potential. We should never get over the depths of God's kindness. One of the things that we should walk away with here is that if God was making a choice on how good he was to them, based on how wise they were, the story doesn't end the way that it started. Or the story doesn't end the way that it ends. The simple fact is that when Naomi wasn't thinking correctly, when Naomi was bitter, when Naomi was pushing her her family away from her, as she was angry at God, God just continued to work lovingly in her life. And lastly, I want to say this. We need to just take a moment to reflect on that. The truth is in our personal lives, there are situations that 
We have bitterness. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to face it. Somebody who's close to us could probably point it out <laughs> if we ask them. But there may be someone in here who they're really dealing with bitterness. And the fact is that that bitterness isn't just destroying you. It's destroying everybody that comes in contact with you. And it's not done destroying you and it's not done destroying them. It just continues. It continues until it wreaks havoc everywhere we go. And there are some of us that we need to be principled in our decisions. The fact is, we want to take the easy path. We want to do what seems like it's going to give us the smoothest path. And instead of asking what's right and what's wrong, and we have a conviction, I'm going to do what's right, we, we compromise. Some of us need to be grateful again. The fact is that God is good to us, far better than we deserve. But we often don't express it. We often are very entitled. We look at God and we say, is that all you're going to give me? <laughs> is that all I get? <laughs> it's like at Christmas, you know. Your kids get all this stuff. They don't need any of it. Oh, I don't like that. The color's not right. All right, we'll take it back. We'll take everything back. <laughs> you know, sometimes we're like that with God. We think that he owes us something. He doesn't owe us anything. Yet he's so good to us. Let's bow our hearts together and let's thank him for that. Our Father in heaven, as we reflect on these truths, I pray that we would not get over how good you are. We want to say thank you for your persistent kindness and love and grace. We want to thank you that even when we have strayed and drifted, you have continually drawn us back to yourself. Even when we have made foolish choices that have hurt us and the people around us, you have continually worked through those things to accomplish good. Father, help us to recognize how painful the consequences are of compromise. And may we be convinced in our hearts that we must do right even when it hurts in the immediate. I pray that we would recognize from this text of Scripture how good you are and that we would have the eyes to see it in our own lives. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I'd like to ask you if we could, let's turn in our hymn books to our closing hymn, 227. And the song that we're going to sing is, Who is He in Yonder Stall? And I have all five verses. I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> My wife's looking at me like, well, hey, I got to tell you, there's a reason we have all five verses, because every single one of them, I feel like is important to the song and what it's communicating. So let's stand together, please. And we're going to sing all five verses of who is he in yonder stall. And teens, you guys are, you're warming up for your inspiration tonight, so. <clears throat> who is he in yonder stall?
whole story of uh, Christ's ministry. So I was like, I, what, which one can I leave out? I can't leave any of them out. The author of the song felt like they were all important, so we went with them. I'd like to ask my dad to come and close in prayer. And uh, good to have you guys. And uh, teens, as soon as the service is uh, over, head to the back so that you can get in the vans to uh, head over to the lenders. And uh, good to see each of you. I know this. I know we're in the holiday season, but because of the way Christmas and New Year's fall, uh, there's there's no disruption to our schedule except seven o'clock next Sunday night instead of six because of our uh, Christmas Eve candlelight service. So, um, but everything else Wednesday night's the same. Uh, Sunday morning is the same. And uh, so, anyway, just wanted to make sure I say that. All right, that one should be on. Yes, thank you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to meet this evening. We do thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to save us from our sins. I thank you for the book of Ruth and uh, Joel's message tonight, that you, uh, you reach out to all people. And I thank you for the faith that Ruth had in the one true God, and she was willing to take a stand. And I know Naomi eventually got right, too. We, we appreciate that story and all of that. Uh, help us to honor you this week. And we love you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.